Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You bow your heads with me. Dear God, we come before you this morning. We come before you as people coming from very different places in life, different stages of life, different places in our own spiritual journey. God, we pray that your spirit might reach each and every one of us where we are, that we might sense that we are welcome here in this building because we are welcome in your presence. God, I pray that you might open our hearts, open our minds to what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, want, I actually want to start off by just giving it up for the right side of the church. I'm excited because, um, I'm excited because usually there's much fewer people on the right side of the church than on the left side of the church. And today, it's, you guys are, it, there's rivaling. And actually with people, I think you just beat them. This is unbelievable. I usually, I usually find myself talking over here all the time because this is where everybody is. I'll see if I can end up addressing some of you over there. So props to you all. And uh, so can we give it up, seriously, for the right side of the church? Great job. And I wanted to uh, just begin by saying Happy Easter to all of you. Uh, hope you're having a wonderful Easter. Maybe you're confused. Uh, maybe you think I'm confused. Because you're right, Easter Day was, um, well, it was about six weeks ago. So why on earth would I be saying Happy Easter today? And the reality is because throughout the history of the church, uh, Easter has been considered not just a day that we celebrate, but there has in fact been an entire season called Easter Tide. It's a season that stretches from Easter Day all the way until Pentecost, 50 days later. And it's a season in which we are encouraged to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, celebrate his death and his resurrection. And, you know, it, it perfectly coincides with the coming of spring, right? at least in our, in, in our, where we live, it coincides with the coming of spring. And so when we go out and we see the, the trees uh, blooming, we see the grass, the green grass, uh, it's an opportunity to remind us of this season in which we celebrate the, celebrate the new life that is ours because of what God has done in and through Jesus and in and through the resurrection. If you think about it, we have an Advent season, right? We have an Advent season. We spend time celebrating the, the birth of Christ. And then there's also the Easter season where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the life that we have through that. And this is actually what emerges in this passage, this life that is available to us. Uh, Jesus is announcing that to us in this passage. What we're looking at today, we're going to begin, it's a two-week series, and uh, I'm going to be straight up with you. We're doing a two-week series on this because I've preached on this before, and I'm gearing up for my series on Exodus, which I've never preached on, so I wanted some time to prepare. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of revisiting some other materials so I can get ready for the Exodus series, which is coming up in a few weeks. Uh, so we're looking at this section of the of the New Testament scriptures, which is sometimes known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, is a, it comes from a Latin word, which means blessing. 
And that, of course, is why you'll notice these first uh, 11 verses all start with, blessed are the, blessed are the. So that's why it's called the why it's called the Beatitudes. And we need to realize before we get into this that the Beatitudes is part of a larger body of teaching, sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is the largest body of teaching that we have from Jesus, the, the most thorough uh, section of, of teaching that we have from Jesus. And really what the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about is it is announcing that the kingdom of God has broken into this world. Jesus is saying that with, with my coming and my arrival, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world in a, in a way, in a, in a new way. And so he's, what he's saying, actually, for, for those listeners who would have been familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, is he's saying that what the prophets said would come true is now coming true. He's saying that the prophets prophesied a time when God would come and the kingdom would break in. Because, because when you look at the history of the people of Israel leading up to the time of Jesus, it was a difficult time. They had hundreds of years of, well, just falling on hard times. Uh, from hundreds of years before, the Assyrian Empire had come in and conquered part of their country and, and taken many away in exile. And then the Babylonians came along and they sacked Jerusalem and they took many of their people back to, to Babylon and they were in exile in Babylon. Now, at the time of Jesus, uh, they had been able to return, uh, but they, they were still always under the authority of someone else and often being marginalized, often being oppressed. And so the prophets... Throughout these hundreds of years, they recognized this, and of course, they recognized that part of the reason why this was happening was because the people of Israel had turned away from God, and this is what happens when you turn away from God, things don't, don't go well. Uh, but then the prophets also said, said listen, there's going to come a time when the kingdom of God is going to break in. God is going to come, and he's going to begin to renew and to restore all things. And one of the key passages that was often looked to in the, the time of Jesus, is Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, prophesying hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. And this is one, one of the things that he says in Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And if we turn to, we don't have time, but if we turn to the Gospel of Luke, we discover Jesus coming into a, a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he comes in, and, and he, was, he was set up to read the Scripture, kind of like I did today, uh, but what was different is after he read the Scripture, he said, this Scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. So he's saying, I'm not just the one reading the Scripture, uh, I'm what the Scripture is talking about, and that is now coming true. And as we read the Beatitudes, we see precisely the same theme emerging. In fact, you can see the same, kind, the same elements emerging in this passage as we read in the Isaiah passage. We see this concern for the poor. 
the poor in spirit, the concern for those who are mourning, this longing for righteousness. And so this is the background, Isaiah 61, and this whole prophetic tradition of hoping, waiting, longing for God to come and, and renew all things to, for his kingdom to break in. This was something that they were looking forward to. And Jesus is announcing that this is now beginning to come true. Now, the reason why I'm going into all of this is because what I want us to see here is that Jesus, he is announcing that something new is happening. When we read the Beatitudes, he is not proclaiming timeless wisdom. He's not proclaiming wisdom that that if you just sort of tap into the nature of the universe, you will come to understand, right? So in this sense, this was important. It's very different than, say, what Buddha did or what Plato did. What they did is they, they were trying to, you know, let's tap into the nature of the universe, the nature of things, and proclaim this this sort of proverbial wisdom that is timeless and true. And, and we need to realize that's not what's going on here. Um, Jesus is saying that something new is happening, that the kingdom of God is breaking in in a new and fresh way. Another way of saying this is, quite frankly, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish, and because he was Jewish, he thought the way the Jewish people uh, thought, and that was that that the, the world has this flow that is unpacked in the scriptures of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God created everything, created everything good, created us to be in communion with God, but we turned away from God. We fell away from God, and because we fell away from God, things have not gone well, but God in his love, has, has as the prophet said, would come and and come and enter in and renew things. So it's saying that, that God is coming to do something new. He's not, just, he's not just proclaiming some sort of truths that are just timeless uh, and independent of this story. Uh, another way of putting it, and, and I, I shared this before, but years ago I watched this movie, and it was, it was awful. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I was just, I was absolutely glued to the screen. Uh, my, my wife was out of town. And I found on Netflix, you know, I mean, Netflix, they, 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 they put out the money sometimes, and then sometimes they don't, you know what I'm talking about? And this is one of those ones where they didn't. And I'm like, but I looked, at, I looked up, you know, what it was about, and I'm like, well, this is interesting. There's no way my wife's going to want to see this, so I'll, I'll watch this now. And here, here's the premise. Here's the premise of the story. There's this college professor, and uh, he's 44 years old. And he's been teaching at this university for about 10 years, and he's, he's quitting. He's retiring. Uh, well, he's, he's quitting, and he invites uh, his colleagues from the university to come and have a party with him, right? Now, the interesting thing is, is okay, well, why is he, why is he quitting? And here's, here's the reason. He's 44 years old, and he doesn't age, okay? He hasn't aged a day in 50,000 years, Okay? So the story is this guy is 50,000 years old, right? And 50,000 years old, he turned 44, and then he just stopped aging, right? And uh, so he's been 44 for his whole life. And so for 50,000 years, one of the things that he's realized is that after 10 years of living anywhere, people start to notice, hey, man, this guy isn't aging. And so, you know, he has to move, go somewhere else, right? So he's, he's been keeping this secret that he's been alive for 50,000 years. And, and finally, he's like, he's just had it. He's, he's done. He's done with this. He's done keeping the secret. So he invites all of these college professors over, and finally he tells them, he says, I am 50,000 
years old. And then here's where it gets interesting. He goes, he goes for the first 47,000 years that I was alive, I just accumulated wisdom. I just soaked in all of this, this wisdom. And I spent time with different cultures, different peoples. And, and then about 2,500 years ago, in northern India, I began to proclaim my wisdom. I began to share it with the people of northern India. And then, 500 years later, I came into Palestine, and I started to proclaim the, the, the same wisdom to the people of Palestine. But the religious figures there, they got really, they got upset, and, and they, they tried to kill me. They tried to crucify me. But I, you know, I'd been around 50,000 years, and I knew how to fake like I was dead. And so they didn't actually kill me, right? Okay, so you see what's going on. This guy, in this, in this movie, this, this caveman, he is Buddha and he's Jesus. And what's interesting about it is that as ridiculous as this story is, in a strange way, it actually reflects a lot of uh, modern scholarship over the last 150 years, which has tried to say that, you know, Jesus was really just like Buddha and really just like Plato, and he came, sort of preached this sort of timeless wisdom, and, and actually what you find in a lot of scholarship over the last hundred years, fortunately, this is changing, but for a long time, they were trying to try to downplay Jesus's Jewish nature, try to distance himself from, from Judaism. Some of it was actually rooted in anti-Semitism. That was part of the reason that they did it, but another reason that they did it is if you can separate Jesus from his Jewish roots and from this overarching narrative and just say that he's teaching timeless wisdom, well, then now you can place him alongside Buddha and Plato, and then he's just another one of these teachers saying the same thing. Now, here, here's, here's what I want to say uh, about this. I don't know. Um, it's possible that there are 50,000-year-old cavemen wandering around <laughs> northern Bur you know, Bergen County. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Here's what I know. Jesus was not Buddhist. Jesus wasn't Buddhist. So in this sense, he wasn't just proclaiming this timeless wisdom. In this sense, Jesus was really more, a polit more like a political leader than he was a philosopher, right? Because a political leader doesn't come tell you the way things are. They come and they tell you, well, this is what I'm going to do. So in some respects, the, the people who followed Jesus and they wanted him to be a political leader, they were onto something. What they didn't realize is that his kingdom was so much bigger, so much grander, that it wasn't really worth his time to get involved in local politics because his thing was just so much bigger. But again, he wasn't a philosopher teaching timeless wisdom. He was announcing that this new life, this kingdom of God had broken in in a new way. He was saying that this new life is available. What does this new life look like? When he says that the kingdom of God is breaking in, what are some of the qualities that we might, we might say are associated with this new life, this kingdom that is breaking in? And the chief characteristic that comes through in this passage is simply this. Happiness. Happiness. The word blessed, it just means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who are mourn. He's announcing that there is a happiness that is available. Listen, folks, I want you to understand, God does, he wants you to be happy. He really does. God wants you to be happy. And, and this, this vindicates my wife. I've shared this story before. Uh, but, um, and she's given me permission to share it. 
I love, it's just, it's just a great story. Um, so years ago, when we were newly, newly married, and, you know, now, now we've got marriage completely figured out, but, but years ago, we, ha- we were having some struggles, right? We were having some challenges, and so we picked up this book on marriage, right? And we're like, oh, we're going to, okay, let's figure out, you know, what marriage is all about and all this stuff. And the, this, the central theme of the book was that marriage is not designed for happiness, it's designed for holiness, that it's about becoming holy. That's that, that God brings us together in order to make us holy. So we're going through this book, and it's, it's explaining how marriage can use you to refine you and shape you and, and you show you what's messed up about you so that you can learn to grow and depend on God to make that better, and you can become holy. And my wife, God bless her, we're reading this book, and, and she just breaks down in tears while we're reading it. And she's just very, very open, very honestly, she goes, I don't want to be holy. I just want to be happy. Honey, I think that this passage vindicates you. Because God does want us to be happy. Now, of course, as you dig into it more and you pursue what what it takes and what is involved in becoming happy, guess what? Holiness is is related to this. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus. So they're, they're closely related for sure, but we need to see God does want us to be happy. Now, the question is, how do we become happy? How do we come to experience this happiness that Jesus is, seems to be offering here? And what emerges in this passage is that happiness comes first and foremost through brokenness. Through brokenness. Through being broken before God. Notice here in, in these first four, and, and many, there's, many scholars agree that the first four of these Beatitudes seem to go together, and then the next four go together, which is why I'm preaching on four this week, and then I'm going to preach on the rest next week. But you'll notice the first four, just in general, what they're describing is somebody who's broken, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are people that are broken where things aren't right and they're longing for things to be different. Now, what we need to realize at the outset here is that what Jesus is describing here is fundamentally descriptive, not prescriptive. And here's what I mean by that. He's simply saying, if you're broken, if you're poor, if you're mourning, if you're, if you're longing for righteousness, I have good news for you. I have good news. He's just describing. Now, and the reason why I want to say this, it's very important because throughout the history of interpretation, there's been a tendency to simply, to think that what Jesus is primarily talking about is a heart attitude. Like, you need to be poor in spirit. You need to mourn. You need to be meek. And we're going to see that does emerge out of this. But I don't think that's primarily what he's saying. It's not prescriptive. He's not saying this is a heart attitude that you need to have. In fact, what happens when we turn it simply into a heart attitude is that we lose the holistic picture of brokenness that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a person who's broken. He's talking about a person who's fallen on hard times. He's talking about a person who's having financial difficulties, marital difficulties, problems at work, whatever it is, that holistic nature of what he's talking about gets lost when we simply turn it into a hard attitude. It's important to notice that when we realize this holistic nature of brokenness that he's talking about, 
then we begin to realize that there, that there seems to be a discrepancy between how Luke talks about this and how Matthew talks about it in his. You notice Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke, it says, blessed are the poor. When we realize that the holistic nature, we come to realize there's less difference there. Also, for those of you who are interested in the original language, the phrase poor in spirit and poor, uh, they, were, they were used interchangeably at that time. So it does seem like there's less of a difference between those two in the way that they present this. Right, so again, what, what's going on here is that just generally speaking, these first four are just talking about the same thing. They're talking about people who have fallen on hard times. And of course, this would resonate with the people of Israel because of all that they had been through, all of the oppression that they had, that they had dealt with. And they, they, they were, well, many of them were poor. They were taxed. You read about taxation in the, in the scriptures, and they were being taxed by the Romans, and, and many of them were being taxed out of their land. And so they were poor, and when you're poor, you tend to be poor in spirit. You see, they, they often go hand in hand. And they hungered for righteousness. And in that sense, righteousness can, can apply in a, a couple of different ways. They, they, of course, they also recognized their own sin, right? So they longed for this day when they would become righteous, when they would stop living the way they were. But they were also just longing for God to make things right, that there was lots of injustice in the world. They were, they were longing for that to change. So this is a description of people just on hard times. And here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying for people who have fallen on hard times, help is on the way. Help is on the way. God is here. God loves you. The kingdom has broken in, and she is here for you. We could very easily read this as, blessed are those who have lost a job. Blessed are those who are going through a painful divorce. Blessed are those who are in financial distress. Blessed are those who got the short end of the stick in some business deal at work. Blessed are those who are struggling in their health. Blessed are those who are trapped in sin, who who they see that so much of what's messed up in their life is a result of their own sin. He's saying, blessed are those because there's good news. God has come for you. How does this help come? Of course, we could unpack more how this help comes. And, of course, this help comes, I think, in two ways. Sometimes God just plucks you out. And we should pray for that. We should pray that God would just pluck us out of whatever challenges that we are dealing with. We should just pray that God would pray that God would give us that, that job that we need to, to provide for our family. We should pray for those things. We should pray that God would help to free me of, of my sin and my addiction. We should pray that God would just come and pluck me out of that. Because that's one of the ways in which God delivers. Sometimes the way God delivers is by simply giving you strength to endure whatever it is that you're going through. There's different ways in which God's deliverance comes, and it's important for us to recognize that God's deliverance comes in its fullness in his own timetable, right? So there's, this is the already not yet nature of the kingdom of God. On one hand, the kingdom of God is here, but it's also not here in its fullness, and so we need to realize that this deliverance will come in God's own time. But Jesus is announcing this, this has come. God is here. God has broken in. So he's just announcing this to those who are broken. Now, here's the key thing we need to realize. though. You'll never receive God's help if you don't recognize your brokenness. 
You see, this is where it becomes a hard attitude. You'll never receive God's help if you don't recognize your own brokenness. If you just go through life and you're self-sufficient and you just, you know, and you don't look to God, you don't, don't, don't fall before God in a disposition, a hard attitude of brokenness, then it's not going to come. Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. What he's saying is, I've come for those who recognize their need for help. And so here's what we need to realize. The way in which we can begin to enter into this kingdom of God, the way in which the blessings of God can begin to come into our lives is through an attitude of brokenness humbling ourselves before God. And here's what you need to realize. You see, when you have a heart disposition of brokenness, it it doesn't really matter then whether or not things are going bad in your life or not. I mean, things might be going great for you. You you know, you're not, you're having a great time. I mean, family's healthy, just got the promotion, like life is just going beyond what you could possibly have imagined. But you can still have a a disposition of brokenness before God. And the person who has that disposition of brokenness, here's what they pray for. They pray for protection. Because they realize that everything that they have is a gift from God. Brokenness is a disposition whether you are doing well or you're not doing well. Right? If you're not doing well, then okay, God, I need you. But if you're doing well, that, that disposition that says, my goodness, I don't have this because of myself. I, I, I don't have this because I deserve this. I don't have this family and this job because of, because of me. I have it because God has given this to me. Even my abilities, right? Some are like, well, you know, I've worked hard. I've, I've, you know, I've got a good work ethic. You see, the person who understands their position before God realizes That work ethic came from God in the first place. You can't even take credit for that. It's this disposition of brokenness, whether things are going well for you or not. And I want to highlight, I think, two two kinds of brokenness, a heart disposition, which I think can be helpful. There's a, a brokenness before the sovereignty of God, and there's a brokenness before the holiness of God. And I think, roughly speaking, these are reflected in these four here. A number of scholars agree that the first and the third beatitude are parallel, and the second and the fourth are parallel, in that they're kind of talking about the same thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the meek. That in terms of of what these words mean, it's really just talking about the same kind of person. This is a person where life is just tough. Life is hard. I think things... Things haven't gone well. And, and this person is broken before the sovereignty of God. In other words, they realize that God is the one who can provide for them. They can't do it on their own. They can't fix the problem on their own. They need God to come and work in their lives. That's brokenness before the sovereignty of God. He's in control. But then there's also a brokenness before the holiness of God. And the brokenness before the holiness of God is this. This is the person who realizes God doesn't owe me anything. This is the person who recognizes their own sin. You see, when we turn to this heart disposition, now now we can see that this hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this is a person who recognizes their own sin. 
This is the person who's willing to acknowledge when they've gone wrong. You see, here's what we tend to do. Isn't this true what we tend to do? We tend to see everybody else's sin, and we tend to minimize our own. So when, when others sin, we, I mean, we put that under a microscope, we blow it up, it looks huge, it looks big, but our own sin, we minimize that, we justify that. We have all kinds of reasons for why ours isn't as bad. You see, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, the person who's really broken before the holiness of God, knows that those excuses are not going to mean anything before a holy God. And this is a person who falls at the feet of God and recognizes the need for God's grace. So friends, where are you this morning? Where are you? What's going on in your life? What are the challenges that you are facing? And more importantly, where is your heart? Is your heart broken before God? Jesus is saying when we come before God in brokenness, this is the path to life. This is the path to happiness. We now come to our time of communion. If the ushers would come forward. Rachel, you can come up and get ready. Communion is an opportunity for us to come before God in brokenness. Communion is an opportunity for us to Come before God and acknowledge what he has done for us. To acknowledge that everything that we get comes because of God's grace. At the heart of the Christian faith is that on the cross, Jesus died to forgive us of our sin. That what enables us to come before God and ask for his blessings is not because of anything we've done, but because God loves us despite whatever we have done. Listen to me no matter who you are and no matter what you may have done. If you come before God and you are honest about it and you confess your sin before Him, whatever it is, He welcomes you into His presence. Friends, I think there are some of us who feel like, but you don't know what I've done, Kevin. You don't know what my sin is. Maybe I don't, but God does, and He loves you exactly the same. encourage you this morning, I imagine that there are many of us with a weight on our shoulders, a weight because of the challenges that we're facing, a weight because of the sin in our own lives that is weighing us down. I encourage you to humble yourself before the throne of grace and receive God's blessing this morning. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we come before you this morning and we are just humbled by your great love for us. We are humbled that you care about us at all. Why would the God who created the vastness of this universe care at all about us? And yet in the person of Jesus, we see just how much you God, I pray that we would come before you this morning and that burdens that are on our hearts would just be lifted as we find in you the hope that we need, the forgiveness that we need, the hope for change that you've come to set us free from our sin. God, I pray that this morning we might have a glimpse of happiness 
that makes no sense in light of our circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name.